It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. You know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate, and I, I don't sit here and control They're answers that only can come from Victoria, I'm afraid, because that's not my job. But well, I ain't spending any time, because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Well, g'day and welcome, listeners, to the Two Jacks Combo. That is our world coverage combined uh, with our domestic coverage uh, in Australia. And joining me, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack, all the way in Hong Kong. How are you today, mate? Good, mate. Look, I've got to apologise if it's a bit noisy. You know what it's like? The black over your back fence decides to knock up a speck home, you know? I know, um, I know. Uh, yeah. In this case... He's up to about forty-five floors and still going, and, uh, and they're um, and they're sliding some rubbish down to the chutes to the ground floor to be taken away. So that's the noise you can hear in the background. We do, it's not too bad at the moment. We do hear a little bit of noise there, and I've always said this, Jack. Hong Kong, it's a terrific city. It'd be great when it's finished. Um, <laughs> That'll uh, never happen. <laughs> as, as, as soon as something gets about twenty-five years old, they, they bowl it over and build a new one. Yeah. Oh, meanwhile, in eastern Australia, uh, well, certainly southeastern Australia, we have winds. They're not quite gale force, but they're playing playing merry hell around the place. Uh, it's just gusting up to about 60 kilometres and have been for the last 36 hours, and it's likely to extend uh, for another 36. Uh, pretty wild and willing times here and uh, in more central western New South Wales. We've got terrible floods, of course. So the weather is playing havoc, but um, we might just hear a bit of bluster in the background while I record this today, or we record this today. Now, Jack, we're going to go straight to the United States. We did do a a, a, uh, a coverage of the midterms and where it all went wrong. Uh, journalists everywhere have had to reach for their metaphor books. There was no red tsunami. There was no red wave. I, I think I went with a red a red neap tide, uh, which is the smallest of all tides, uh, and uh, and in the end, uh, it seems to be a, a repudiation of Donald Trump, who coincidentally, perhaps ironically, uh, has announced or had announced his candidacy in the wake of this disaster. Jack, what's that telling us? Uh, I don't think it was coincidental at all. I think he's trying to keep himself in the game. Um, the one thing that we can pretty safely take away from the midterms is that what Trump's trying to sell to the independents and to the wider electorate, they aren't buying. It would seem that is absolutely right. Why he went now, he was basically Nevada did not flip red. It was thought it might, which would mean the runoff election in Georgia, Senate election there, would become absolutely critical. Um, but as it stands, it's it's going to be whether the Democrats have 50 or 51. Um, so perhaps that's not going to get the focus. That's, that, and that's in the Senate, but they will have the House. By they will have the House, yeah. Half a, dozen, half a dozen plus. Yeah, yeah, I'd say about seven. That's what my maths is telling me, uh, which pleases me greatly because I wrote a column saying this is going to be between five and ten, and uh, and and uh, and then of course there was a bit of a bit of a comeback uh, in a number of congressional elections um, uh, or house uh, house seats, and uh, and it looked like uh, the the Dems might actually just hang on to. A, to, uh, to a majority in the House, but that seems not to be the case now. Counting continues and will continue for several weeks in Arizona and California. 
Yeah, um, it will probably continue to Christmas in California. Um, it's just a reminder that really what you need in these elections are paper ballots counted on the day. Well, we've got we've got an almost perfect system. It's in Australia, and they they, they could learn much from us, Jack. But they're too arrogant, Jack. And they've got 50, they've got fifty states with their own rules, um, uh, and, uh, uh, and and their own their own uh, very weird system of voter registration too. And that gets weirder the further you go into the deep south. But with that majority in the House, Jack. Um, you've uh, you've got the end of the Nancy Pelosi years. She's been uh, re-elected speaker twice now. It's quite a career, isn't it? Eighty-two years of age, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's you know almost reached reaching retirement age, isn't she? Not quite in the uh, in the <laughs> in Congress. You know, I think Diane Feinstein's about one hundred and twenty-three. Yeah. Um, the um, yeah, so people- few have made the ton. One mistake I think people make about Nancy Pelosi is to see her as a Californian. Um, and unless she's lived in California now for a long time, she is really a Baltimore machine politician born and bred. Uh, her father, Thomas D'Alessandro, I think his name was. Yes, that's um, right. Was a, um, was a uh, Baltimore machine politician par excellence. He became the Former mayor, mayor. And ruled yes. the place with an iron fist. Um, and... Uh, until she's, Spiro Agnew came along, Jack. Yeah, yeah, but she's a, um, uh, a a factional fighter and head kicker from way back. So when she got to California, I think they found that she found the the, the soft Californians a bit easier to bowl over. But she's tough and she's formidable. She won her district, by the way, eighty three twelve. Mm. Um, so that was, so she's got- mind you, this is this is in San Francisco and fair income, you know. Jack the Ripper could win if the he had D after his name. In yeah, look, that's probably true. We'll get to some very very high polling and uh, electoral support figures later in the show. But there's a, a fantastic quote from a Republican, albeit an anonymous one, a Republican. Uh, congressman who says of Nancy Pelosi, she is the most ruthless, savvy politician I've seen in my lifetime, took a personality of a Disney movie villain and still rose to be speaker not once but twice. Hate her for sure, but I'd kill to have a Pelosi or two on my team instead of the nutless losers we are or nutless losers we have, he says. Isn't it amazing? Um, you, you can be a, a really tough head kicker, and even your opponents basically respect you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right. if you've been around long enough, you've got to respect the skills. You've got to respect the skills. And, and look, when we move on now to just, we want to just concentrate a little bit on the on the orange one, Jack. And um, look, tell me, why is he cooked? Well, I mean, he looks cooked. Why? Why, why have people lost faith in him? Um, it, not so much about his the things he wanted to do or the things that happened under the Trump government in the four years he was president. It's about him personally. And, and much of it, I think, is predicated on the fact that he simply won't acknowledge that he got rolled in 2020. Yep. Well, he didn't get rolled if you listen to him in 2022 either. Even though he wasn't on the ballot, he definitely cast a shadow over and he reckons he's had a a triumph, you know, triumph, the biggest triumph, the best, et cetera, you know, when clearly he's he's been rolled. So he's become almost a cartoon figure now, hasn't he? 
Yeah, but there are two things happening side by side here. There's sort of what the Trump government did, the policies that, that, that they pursued, which were relatively popular um, with the electorate, and then there's Trump himself. And, and, and the mistake I think the Dems could fall into is that they confuse those two things um, and think that because they did well in the midterms, then the policies of the current Biden government are, are going okay. And I think they're not, and the polls show they're not. Um, uh, six out of ten Americans think America's on the wrong track and the government's on the wrong track. Well, we'll get um, to polling a bit, in a little while, Jack, but if you're going to ask people, high, do you think the country's thing. going well? I mean, you know you're going to get a, you know you're going to get a reaction. I mean, that, that's just polling designed to, to create an outcome, a, pre, a predetermined outcome. Um, uh, and, and one of those things, you know, clearly showed us, um, uh, the, uh, dragged us into the wrong direction in terms of punditry on the midterms is that Joe Biden's going badly, therefore the Democrats will go badly. Um, <clears throat> the the reason for the Democrats doing much better than expected is not just Donald Trump. I'd, 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 uh, I'd hazard a guess at that, although there is that sense that Americans have moved on from that from uh, from the Trump years. Um there's a little I, bit I, about. I think um, it's almost all down to Trump, to be quite honest, and it's almost all down to Trump post election 1920. Not so much what he did before. 2020, that, mate. Was, come on. It was before that. Uh, it was after the election. What he did from from there on is what's causing the problems. Uh, yeah. Look, uh, there's certainly a very strong Trump factor in that. I did see the New York Post. Uh, they. Uh, uh, they reported on his announcement to run in 2024 on page 26, Jack. Uh, and uh, it was uh, what we call a column inch report uh, where he was described as an avid golfer. I think I think the, the piece started, uh, uh, retired Florida man announces um, a bid for 2024 presidency. <laughs> It was beautiful. It was actually something you, you, you might read in Private Eye. It was a, a wonderful piece of understatement. Uh, and I really did like the, the term of avid golfer. And and there was a sentence there. Uh, 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 Donald Trump was in fact president. Was in fact president uh, during 2016, 2020. I guess 2017, 2021. Yeah, it would seem that he's cooked. And and what we want to talk about now is what sort of the Republicans have. I mean, but most of Trump's critics remain within the Republican Party remain anonymous. I mean, there are a few who stick their chins out, and there always will be. But but the the core of his critics are largely still anonymous because they fear that he will take his rusted on supporters who will vote for Trump and no one else. Well, that's the uh, that that's uh, that's the measure. I mean, we don't really know how much of the Republican vote is like that that rusted on orange vote. Um, but if those people do, uh, with uh, with the Donald uh, uh, take their bats and balls and not vote in twenty twenty four, then the Republicans really have no chance. Yeah, um, I don't think the people who are uh, Trump only are, are all that huge in number. Um, and there are increasing numbers of people, not just in not in Congress so much, but in and around the Republican Party uh, and the right, uh, the, you know, the centre right in America generally, who are now quite openly saying, perhaps reluctantly in some cases, look, you know, 
the, the Trump thing's finished. Well, what would, I mean, it's really hard to quantify. Some people sort of put it at about 40%. I wouldn't put the, the rusted on at 40 but even no, no, at ten, even at ten, it's 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 going to be crucial if they if, if those ten certainly not going to vote Democrats, but in in a voluntary voting system, they might just disappear altogether, and not turn up at all. Yeah, that's possible. It's another reason why our electoral system here is so good that um, that compulsory voting means that the political parties are not chasing turnout; they're chasing the centre by and large. Mm, yeah, exactly right. But and there's a few things that that, 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 are, that have become obvious since the since the midterms. Candidates matter. Um, we've yeah. we, we'd sort of forgotten that they did, but they clearly Cele- do matter. Celebrity doctors and and um, uh, well, there's one still up for grabs in Georgia who's a linebacker, isn't he? Yeah, uh, former linebacker. They do matter. Um, the quality of these candidates does matter. And, and Trump seems to be sort of stuck on this business that you can run politics like a reality TV show. Yeah, and that, that doesn't work. Um, the other thing to note is that, that unusually for the, for the Republicans, they actually won the, uh, the popular vote. There's still votes can't being counted in California, but even though they'll run nearly all Democrat, um, they will still likely win... Um, the popular vote, and in fact, there was a seven percent swing to the Republicans in the midterms, and yet they didn't do very well. Yeah, they didn't do very well in the Senate. Um, they have won some House seats, majority of, of five to uh, five to ten, as we say. So that the, the House will flip, um, and uh, uh, Pelosi will no longer be Speaker, of course. I think one thing to watch there, Jack, is just a, might be a little bit of political skullduggery, a little bit of Machiavellianism, but will the Republicans allow, with their majority in the House, will they allow the a select committee into the January 6th um, brouhaha continue? Uh, well, not sort of brouhaha, we can call it a, a sort of a riot. I think that's probably the best description. There's a million things you can call it. But will that committee be allowed to run? Uh, and in order, and, and when it does so, uh, it will perhaps be doing a little bit of uh, the Republicans' work in removing Trump. Uh, it quite possibly, you know, I mean, a lot of people are saying no, it won't continue. Yeah, that's uh, true. And, and, and that's going to be a matter for the House, where there, as you pointed out, um, um, the number, the majority is a very small one, um, and no one's going to be quite sure. Um, when they're proposing something, whether they can get all of their own people to vote for it, and m- maybe a couple of others, uh, and and even people opposing it won't be quite sure whether they'll get all their people to oppose it. It's going to be like herding cats um, yeah. with small majorities like that. Like herding cats across the Serengeti is uh, my description in my in my column a couple of weeks ago. It's very very difficult to keep those people together because there are centrist Republicans, there are centrist Democrats, there are extreme Democrats, and there are extreme Republicans. And uh, regardless of what well um, whatever issue is up, can basically split those votes or take a, enough away not to not to give the majority majority and do the minority may win may win the day. So those things. Uh, are the sorts of things we'll be watching very closely. The polls are quite, quite different to Australia. Um, uh, well, yeah, party. Congress people in Australia in the United States don't vote on pretty much strict party lines like they do no. in Australia. 
No, they do. They, they don't. I mean, of course, if you do that in the Labor Party, that's uh, pretty much the end of you if you cross yeah. the floor. And, and if you do it in the Liberal Party, it's not quite the end of you, but you'll be quietly deselected. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that, 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 just later. that just doesn't happen in the United States. Mm. So um, it is much more difficult to govern with a, a, a small minority. But I, I suspect that the January 6th committee might go on. But there'll be I, I, other committees as well. But they, these are very cynical, cynical reasons, Jack, um, uh, that we might have. But it is the way politics works. I mean, Republicans, some indeed might be saying, well, let's let it run so uh, the Dems will do our dirty work for us because we don't really want to upset that rusted-on uh, voting block for Trump in the electorate. And yet they would prefer that Trump was disposed of. Yeah, so it's you know it's it's a it's a pretty nifty little solution when you think about it. Um, we this this Meanwhile, does. Meanwhile, you have to ask yourself why is Trump um, uh, announcing a candidate for twenty twenty four so early? Well, I got I got a two word answer, Jack. Business model. Um, yeah, it could be, couldn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a, a very cynical days. view. It's a very <laughs> cynical view, um, <laughs> but it just might be that. This is his great source of cash flow right at the minute. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm I'm, I'm absolutely certain that's that's why he's why he's announced his run. Um, how do you think he would get on in a primary? I mean, they're, they're pretty much just a year away now, I and mean, we are <laughs> the well, US that, well, is, is well, the country st- of perpetual election campaigns, Jack. But they um, st- they start about this time next year and run into twenty twenty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so, so we're in campaign mode again, um, and and so there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of vote, uh, a, a, a lot of donations being sought through the super PACs and on websites and so forth. Certainly, the Donald does it. Uh, we've talked about uh, Ron DeSantis having a hundred million dollar war chest to to run his candidacy if he decides to run in twenty twenty four, and the view is that he probably will. Mike Pence is likely to run as well. Maybe Mike Pompeo, former head of the CIA and former Secretary of State, not Defence, Secretary of State, I think. Uh, and um, and and uh, there's 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 a number of other uh, congressmen and governors who've done reasonably well who might run into what we might call a cricket team of of uh, Republican uh, primary candidates or candidates for the uh, for for, uh, for the uh, Republican presidency um uh how do you think you get on because i think the first thing will happen in a debate is who won the 2020 election mr trump mr president yeah and he's he's just gonna go he'll just go off and and that'll be the end of it well no i think he's he is i I don't think he will win the primary you know i mean um, two years ago um, when he first lost the election um, I thought he would probably be a certainty to win the primary the next time around if he wanted to go into it. Um, but I think that's no longer the case. And, and that's largely due to his behaviour since he lost the election in 2020. Um, I noticed the other day that um, uh, uh, the, the, the Lauder chap, the, um, uh, the, the, the heir to the Estee Lauder money, um, who's been Trump's second or third biggest donor over the years, has said no. He's done. He's done. He's done his race, as far as I'm concerned. Oh gee, well he'll be on the 
he'll be on the blacklist, uh, Jack. Yeah, he'll be <laughs> he'll be getting a mention on uh, Trump socials, Truth socials. They're called actually. I call them Trump socials, and on uh, the Donald Trump version of Twitter, uh, he'll be getting a backhander and angry phone calls and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's going to be really interesting because if he does get rolled in in the primaries, and I'm happy to concede that now, if he does make it to a primary in the first of them, first of them are in December of 2023. If he if he does make it, I, I think he'll bow out really quickly. And I'm not then, even sure you. I'm not even sure you'll run. And then we have the problem of the business model collapses, Jack, because you can't seek donations if you're no longer a candidate. And uh, I think he's, uh, the Donald might hit the deck pretty hard. Yeah, no, he's he's of a type that they always seem to land on their feet. Well, they don't like their presidents being, um, you know, they don't, certainly don't want their presidents rattling a tin at, uh, at the local central station, do they? Um, so, uh, yeah, my, my look, maybe. We'll see. But one thing that... Uh, that's, what, that, that's a year away. There'll be a new business model by then. Yeah, look, you know, I don't. Anyone hoping he'll go broke um, is uh, probably going to be waiting. Uh, wouldn't want to hold their breaths anyway. Um, uh, he, he, yeah, but he's going. In my view, he's going to hit the deck pretty hard. It's going to be a, a, a psychologically, Jack. It's going to be a terrible awakening to find out that he's not popular. Yeah, he'll just um, narrow his world down to be popular in his own little world. Well, he's an avid golfer, Jack. Now, uh, we do know that one of the reasons uh, for his uh, uh, candidacy, announcing his candidacy just last week, uh, or some people opine that um, and that is because he wants, he thinks it's a good way of um, avoiding indictment. And with, in that regard, uh, US Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, named Jack Smith last week on Friday, uh, Friday, uh, what are we talking about, the 18th, um, uh, a name, Jack Smith, who is a war crimes prosecutor, to serve as special counsel to oversee Justice Department investigations related to the Orange One, including the former president's handling of sensitive documents and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Where's that going to end up, Jack? Um, uh, like I've thought all along with these things, it won't end up in a prosecution. Uh, I've been listening to people tell me that the walls are closing in on Donald and that he's be, he'll be carted away in handcuffs any day now, and I've been hearing that since December 2016. Well, Jack, if the walls are going to close in, you've got to be able to build them first, and he yeah. uh, hasn't been able to do that, so maybe that's why. There's too many gaps in the walls, Jack. Yeah, um, could be. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did notice this week was that the um, uh, representative Jordan and uh, a couple of the other senior uh, Republicans, the people who really, not the leader, not the leader, I think he's a bit of a lightweight, but the people who are going to be the, the hard men for the Republicans in the next Congress, sent a letter to the Department of Justice and to the FBI um, telling them that they will be investigating the behaviour of the Department of Justice and the FBI and to check whether there has been partisan politics involved in the top levels of both of those organisations, not the not the, the agents on the ground, but at the top levels, uh, and asking them to preserve documents. Um, that not, might not be unrelated to the appointment of the special counsel either. 
Ah, uh, yes, we'll see all of that. Uh, but look, I, I know the media will be deeply pleased to see that uh, the Donald remains uh, with his laundry list of very expensive legal problems won't be far away from the news. And, of course, his candidacy too. Uh, it's much, much sadder news, Jack, in Colorado. He's, he's, but he's been very good for the legal profession, or he would be if he I'd be terrific for the media too, Jack. Yeah, well, that, that's, that, they're going to miss him when he finally shuffles oh, off. Oh, so. definitely miss him. I'm definitely miss him just because, man, he and his family are an absolute basket case. They just keep you amused all the time. I mean, <laughs> I did see too that Eric and uh, Junior uh, are named in the um, uh, South District uh, of New York State and, and, and as well as the orange one of uh, having uh, paid um, uh, money in lieu of salary to, uh, to uh, the Trump uh, financial officer who... Um, uh, who is now assisting uh, the authorities with their inquiries? So uh, more more bad stuff going on there for for the uh, the Trump family. Ivanka seems to have just tippy toe very nicely out of the place too. By the way, she seems she always seemed came across to me as the smartest one in the family, and I think she seems to have uh, pulled that um, off too. The last thing I saw was a short snippet, and it, it didn't look like a formal interview, but a conversation she had with somebody when she seemed to indicate that she was putting politics behind her. Time to move on. Yeah, it remains to be seen. Look, we know we know Junior's going to have a dip um, on behalf of Dad and Eric. Well, we know he loves his dad, so they're going to... Uh, they're going to join her, but that we get back to that uh, two words business model. Um, uh, in, in very sad news in Colorado Springs uh, overnight, a 22 year old gunman opened fire inside a gay nightclub in Colorado Springs, killing five people and leaving 25 injured uh, before he was subdued. This is a really important thing for the the, 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 the story. The the inspiring thing about the story is that heroic patrons um, basically. Uh, uh, restrained him and and uh, and uh, held him and held him until police arrived and took him into custody. Uh, two firearms, including a long rifle, uh, were used during the shooting uh, at, the, at the club called Club Q. Very sad business, uh, of course, and not the first and and probably won't be the last sort of attack on uh, LGBTQ. Um, 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 uh, party goers, uh, people getting together in nightclubs, of course. Uh, investigators, Jack, uh, are still determining a motive uh, and whether to prosecute it as a hate crime. Um, but uh, the owners of the club have come forward and said that they believe it is so. We'll need a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, um, I always say err on the side of caution when you um, uh, are describing something as a hate crime because the, the recent history shows us that uh, it doesn't always pan out that way. You do need to conduct and do the rigorous investigative work, whether you're a journalist or a police officer, before you can make these um, um, before you can make these sorts of claims. Overtly, that's the way it would seem. I did notice that uh, a, a Congresswoman Lauren Burbett offered her prayers, Jack. So that'll be helpful. Hmm. Uh, she's a person who had a long reputation of, um, um, uh, what would we say, harassing LGBTQI people, telling telling cross-dressers to stay away from our children, etc., and all that sort of nonsense, but she offered her prayers. Mm, is, sure is, there anything more, 
is there anything more lame than public figures saying our thoughts and prayers? Thoughts and prayers. It's, yeah. it's actually become it's actually become uh, a sort of a, a, an axiom for doing absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, in Iran, Jack, uh, what we've described as the most courageous people in the world today, protesters burnt the original Ayatollah Khamenei's house, which is now a museum in Tehran, Jack. So things yeah, are getting serious. This is the, the this is the fellow who arrived off the plane from Paris to to Great Accord. Uh, the, he was the founder of the Islamic Republic, and this is not like burning down Captain's Cook Cottage in the Fitzroy Gardens. No, very, very different. Uh, this is a big symbolic gesture from protesters. Um, I do recall, and I'll, I'll mention it again, um, <clears throat> talking to the wonderful Mark Colvin. Mark Colvin told me that he was present when um, uh, when Khomeini came to power, I think 1979, Jack. That's correct. Uh, and um, and uh, he and other journalists were whisked away to a quarry where there was literally a mountain of bodies and uh, and the followers of Khomeini very proudly showed them off, and, and, and virtually telling the journalists, this is who we are, this is what we do, uh, <clears throat> and, um, and, uh, and, and, and basically terrorising journalists, you know, get your stories out, but you better make sure we, we approve of them, otherwise you'll end up here on a stack as well. Hmm. Terrible, yeah, terrible regime. Does it have a? Is it starting to crumble? I mean, I'm, st I'm getting that feeling that, that that it really is. Well, the the sheer persistence of the protesters would indicate that there's widespread and quite deep support, at least in the cities, for the protests. Um, the, the sticky point with Iran um, is always that the mullahs retain much more support in the conservative rural areas. So um, it's, it's a finely balanced thing, mm. uh, but they are looking shaky to me. Looking very shaky. We just know that, you know, if you that the, the regime itself will become more and more repressive, no doubt about that, but if you have the numbers, people power will win out at the end of the day. It might be bloody and violent, but if you've got enough people out in the streets, they can only kill so many. And that's when regimes start to teeter. Yeah, and we know that the mullahs have very strong support from part of the military, from the uh, Revolutionary Guards, etc. Yeah. But um, they're, they're a relatively modest proportion of the military. If the wider military were to turn against the, um, the regime, things could happen quite quickly. Yeah, that's right. That's the other thing to watch, where the military stands. Yes. And just north of there, Jack, in, in Ukraine, uh, in Kherson, the first train to the city arrived from Kiev, bringing uh, food and uh, clothing uh, to uh, to the population of the city there, much in need of it. Uh, we saw a, a, a young woman there with a, with, a, with, a, with a family, a young family. She was able to nab a coat for her young son and some food for the family. Um uh, it's more than symbolic. This, I mean, Kherson is such a strategic area that the that Ukraine has really just got almost unlimited possibilities on where they can go now. We mentioned Crimea being in play, um, uh, uh, possibly in play. I think will be possibly. No, yeah, well, I think in play is suggests uh, suggests that uh, it, it, a possibility rather than a probability um, that it is in play. I mean, one thing that we have to remind ourselves of here is that Kherson, the 
Kurson or Blast, I think it's called, was one of the uh, was one of the areas that that uh, according to the Russians, uh, an overwhelming majority of uh, of the residents there had voted uh, had voted for it to be part of Russia. Mm, it doesn't seem to, to be the case, does it? A little bit hard to square that with the uh, the welcome that um, the Ukrainians got when they arrived. Mm. I mean, we did see in the, uh, the Donbass, the two oblasts there, uh, figures around about the 80% level. But in Kherson, it was supposed to be just under 60 um, and a significant majority, and that doesn't seem to be standing up very well. And I think that's the really important part of, uh, of the, uh, the, the, the recapturing uh, by the Ukrainian army of Kherson is that this is in one of the regions that the Russians believe is theirs. Mm. Well, yes, if you believe their referenda. If, yes, and I don't think anyone outside of the Kremlin really does. Um, mm. But yeah, things are starting to crumble there, Jack. I mean, we're, we're, you know, in terms of in terms of the Russian army now, they're using essentially a conscripted press gang, a military. Um, and we talked about the range of, shall we say, um, uh, diplomatic options available to the Russians now, and they are shrinking by. Shrinking by the minute. Um, uh, fewer and fewer friends. Exactly right, and and the and so one of the tools that you might have thought, I mean, they actually let this go through was uh, was allowing the Ukrainians to uh, ship off their wheat. That that had that that agreement had been organised uh, <coughs> with the assistance of the Turkish government uh, had reached its um, had reached its deadline, and now that's been extended. So the Ukrainians will be able to get grain to the world. They are, I think, number four, number four as, as the, in terms of grain providers, exporters to the world. Um, and, and beyond that, you just think, well, what else have you got? Um, you know, obviously there's the nuclear threat. I did see Boris Johnson actually wrote a, a wonderful piece uh, for the uh, Wall Street Journal on Ukraine and just said, you can stop thinking about this. We have to stop thinking about the nuclear threat because there's just no way Putin's going to do it. Well, I, I think that's because, probably right. Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's right. It's a wonderful piece, actually, in the Wall Street Journal, written by Johnson. One thing uh, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Johnson's at all, but one thing you can say about him is that he's got the Ukraine right from the day uh, from from day one, and he's never faltered. <laughs> and he can write. And he can write. Yeah, it was actually a, it was a, it was a lovely little piece. Uh, had me, a journalist of some experience, Jack, had me reaching for the uh, for the dictionary on one occasion. Yeah, no, he's a gift. He's a gifted writer. Um, I think we'll know when the diplomacy. Uh, I suspect we'll know when the diplomacy um, uh, route has any chances of success when countries like India and Israel and um, uh, and the Turks get involved. Yeah, we've always talked about those sort of back passages to diplomacy being there and why they're so important. And because they're the three countries to me, China less so, those are the three countries to me that still maintain pretty good relationships with um, with Russia, and they're also um, the most realistic countries in the world, I think, in terms of who fits in where. Yeah, uh, and look, uh, just getting back to Johnson's piece, Johnson 
made the point, and I've been making it for a little while too. Who 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 could you you simply cannot trust um, 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 Vladimir Putin, and and no one will want to go down in history as the person who signed alongside them uh, a negotiated peace settlement with Russia. Yeah, uh, but I think the Turks, the Israelis, and the Indians will not trust Vladimir Putin but we'll be prepared to deal with them because you have to deal with terrible people sometimes just to get a result. All right, Jack. Uh, now, we're in the p- politics business and, and we understand how difficult it is to get that 50 plus one and find yourself in government. Um, but uh, it's not a problem in Kazakhstan, Jack, uh, where Kazakh well, president... Well, so, well, so there you go. The, the Democrats think they're winners over the midterms and they got 47% of the 47. Vote. They've won. Yeah. They've won. Yeah, they've won. Well, Donald Trump's had a shocker and he reckons he's had the best time ever. Yeah. So it all depends on how you spin it. But mm. uh, when you look at that 50 plus one figure, uh, Kazakh president Kasim Jamar Tokayev... Um, is headed for a landslide victory uh, after he called a snap election, uh, which was held uh, Sunday as uh, Sunday our, our time. Uh, and according to exit polls, Jack, he's got 85% of the vote. Yeah, and the other 15% of the people are in hiding, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's not necessarily a brutal regime. It does, in fact, it, it sits alongside that uh, alliance of nations, which includes... Um, uh, Russia, uh, uh, the former Soviet republics um, with, that we call the stands, and the Chinese as well. There's a very strong Chinese influence in Kazakhstan. Um, uh, and uh, as we say, perhaps crudely, there's a lot of bok choy there where there used to be just uh, a, lot of, a lot of bok choy being grown there where there used to be just open paddocks. Um, it's considered a bit of a food bowl by the Chinese. And uh, yes, the uh, President, <laughs> President Tokayev has been, a, a, will, will almost certainly be announced, uh, the winner by the length of the straight. But that pales into insignificance, Jack, when we consider Equatorial Guinea. Uh, on western and on the sort of western coast of Africa, oil rich, by the way, and and that explains why uh, uh, why this fellow is still in power after forty three years. He is considered to be really one of the worst despots in the world, pound for pound, Jack. Uh, President Teodoro Nguema Obiang, he's known as Obiang Teodoro Obiang Nguema. Mbazogo, but known uh, as President Teodoro Obiang, uh, Africa's longest-serving ruler. He is the longest-serving uh, despot in the world, and he's poised uh, to extend his 43 years in power uh, amid accusations of voting irregularities in, in the election there. Uh, he's never gone on in that 43 years they have elections every five or six years but then they you know they often cancel them often put them off for a little while so you might not have them in 10 but in that uh, 14 but in that 43 years jackie's never gotten less than 90 percent of the vote i presume the voting irregularities they're looking at are the 10 percent who didn't vote for it <laughs> yeah they're the ones in de- terrible trouble we joke about these things but i'll be young and his father was a uh, was a despot there they're absolute fruit loops uh, who believe in witchcraft and so forth and uh, and, and and people just get slaughtered um for you know almost sort of python-esque reasons uh, in equatorial guinea uh it's oil rich jack 
So that's that's why that's why basically he keeps rolling along. There is there is absolute clear evidence of European banks being in cahoots with Obiang uh, as he's basically pilfered from the country and set him set himself up as a multi millionaire, if not a billionaire, in his own right. Isn't oil a stranded asset? Uh, well, I think you'll find that uh, still a lot of people want it, and uh, okay. and if you want to get some in Equatorial Guinea, you don't. It's not going to have to cost you too much. You just got to cross his palm with some dough. Hmm. Uh, yeah, look, per- per- um, perhaps the ex- Extinction Rebellion people could go and protest there. Well, look, someone, someone should look. This, this, seriously, this guy is one of the worst people in the world um, uh, in terms of in terms of uh, uh, foreign governments, foreign leaders. Been in power for forty three years, uh, as I understand. And Mary serves me that he's got a five year term, so he'll be up to forty eight, um, and uh, he's no no spring chicken anymore, too. So maybe. Um, uh, maybe he uh, he may pass uh, pass away in power, but the problem with the problem with that, while well, you might think it's a, a decent outcome, is that it just leaves enormous power vacuums and and the, and the uh, very strong likelihood of political violence in his wake. Yeah, what comes next might not be better. Yeah, exactly right. Because that's what happens when you basically torture and torment a group of people for long enough. Um, so there you go, 90-plus percent from Obiang uh, and re-elected without any great surprise on top of uh, Kazakhstan's uh, President Tokyov winning 85 percent. Going to be a lot closer if we go now to Australia, Jack, with the Victorian election. It's not going to be 85. It was looking like it could have been there for a little while, knowing how bad the Victorian Liberal Party is. Uh, they go they go in early voting has, uh, has now begun, early pre, pre-poll voting. Postals of uh, I think postals conclude uh, on Wednesday. Uh, what's your tip there, Jack? Oh, I would expect that they would be returned, um, but uh, there certainly are some rumblings, so perhaps not with not as easily as it looked. Yeah, look, John Ferguson from the Australian has been writing some great stuff there. Uh, got a good feel for uh, the pulse of the state, uh, does does Ferg. Um, and he's suggesting, and I think it's quite right, that you'll find a fairly substantial crossbench there, that you'll find that Labor will lose seats and... Uh, the coalition, well, the the Victorian Liberal Party will lose them as well, uh, and uh, and that leads uh, that leads us to think that um, that there will be perhaps a minority government for um, for Premier Dan. It's a it's a measure of how badly the Victorians are going that a premier who's I think still subject to four investigations by the independent broad based only, only two involving him, only two involving him, is it? Mm. Um, uh, that he's still a chance to survive. Um, that's, that, that, to me, is a measure of how poorly the Liberals are going. Yeah, I, I think that, broadly speaking, I wouldn't sort of point to corruption, but, but, but certainly Dan Andrews was vulnerable and, uh, and is vulnerable. And, um, and, and really, if he had a decent opposition up against him, he'd be in deep, deep trouble. But that's part of the problem. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and I did see that uh, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, is there. Jack, where's Peter Dutton? Oh, I think Dutton will stay away from the Victorian Liberals, wouldn't you? 
Well, I, I would too, but we'd also have to wonder what sort of what sort of support Peter Dutton would lend to uh, to a, to the Victorian uh, to a Victorian voters. Uh, well, that's hard to gauge, but he would be most unwise, in my view, to 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 go down there and stand beside Matthew Guy, etc. Stuck his bib in in uh, in uh, twenty eighteen, Jack. Stuck his bib in there. Uh, African crime gangs out of control, all that sort of stuff. Scott Morrison as well. Yeah, don't think that went all that well. That um, didn't go all that well, don't it? Yeah, in hindsight, I, a bit of a mistake. Yeah, I, I don't think that's terribly important. That um, that. Andrews is under, or at least on, I thought it was four, but maybe it's only two of them involving him. Uh, two involving his office, yeah. Uh, mm. Because I'm, I'm not a, a great fan of the state um, anti-corruption I back, bodies. I back Sir Clayton's. Sir Clayton's um, one, but um, uh, he's a, um, Dan Andrews is a hard-nosed factional warrior um, there's none of the Steve Brax or John Brumbies about um, Dan Andrews. He's much more of a, a factional head kicker than they were. Um, and that looks like that's starting to come back to bite him on the backside a little bit. Um, so whether the Labor vote holds up in the way that it should, I don't know. All right, just a bit of an overview of polling there, Jack. There hasn't been much polling, actually, and... and, and really haven't been any sort of major polls. There's been a few seat-by-seat polls. They're, they're, you've got to take them with a grain of yeah. salt. Um, but uh, poll from the Redbridge Group, published in the Herald Sun, uh, this was um, this was last week, um, so it's over a week old now. 10.4% 10, 10. Uh, of voters are undecided. Uh, Labor has 36.7, the Coalition 35.5, Greens 13.2, very very high for Greens, Independents 8.5 and others 6.0. Uh, Labor is credited with a two-party lead of 53.5 to 46.5, slightly narrower uh, than uh, William Bow, who is the poll budget, a very, very fine um, sophologist and, and poll analyst uh, from WA. Um, uh, out of a sample of 1,180 votes, 53.5, 46.5. That's basically where we were in 2018, by the way. Yeah, but it just looks to me... Oh, it looks different. Definitely it looks it different to me. It looks a little bit like um, uh, the voters are, uh, are moving into the pox on both their houses um, uh, frame yeah, of Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's the case. And the problem I've got with the upper house, Jack, is that, you know, uh, if you go along and vote there and you pop the one across, uh, across the top for your preferred party... Uh, the parties will allocate the preferences f- uh, for you. And, of course, that's a system that we have across uh, across the country for the Senate and we've discarded it because it, it allows people to... It allows pol- political parties, particularly minor ones and major ones, it must be said, uh, to manipulate those results. Yeah, the, the system's called exhaustive, exhaustive preferential voting mm-hmm. um, um, uh, and the masters at, at working out exactly how you've got to do this I used to think we're in the um, Victorian left of the Labor Party, the socialist left of the Labor Party, because the system we used there, and there were strict, supposedly strict rules about who you voted for, and you'd have some of your people voting one ticket and some of your people voting another to produce (laughs) the desired outcome. Um, uh, It was incredibly complicated, way too complicated for a boat with my mathematical skills. 
Um, but uh, there is an art form in, in in working out what's going to happen. Well, yeah, it would seem the uh, the um, uh, what do they call him the preference whisper, the whisperer, uh, Glenn Drury. Uh, he was filmed, and this was shown on in the Herald Sun. He was filmed gloating that he had come to an arrangement with. Um, uh, with uh, with Labor and the and the Greens in order to deliver um, uh, uh, people like legalised cannabis, uh, the Reason Party, um, uh, even uh, parties like uh, Darren Hinch's Justice Party. You can have a party with your name in it, Jack. That shows a fair amount of. Healthy ego, doesn't it? And, uh, and, well, and, and I don't think anyone's ever doubted that, 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 that Darren had a healthy ego. Um, what, what the system does allow is that it does allow a minority group with very few primary votes to get elected. And that's yeah. because of the way the, the, the preferences cascade down or cascade up in a sense because you take out the least votes each time and it depends how they work. So it is quite a complicated situation, but you can get elected with a negligible number of primary votes. Indeed. It might see the shooters, uh, the shooters party, Fishers and Farmers, shooters, Fishers and Farmers, and uh, even the Health Australia Party, um, <clears throat> sort of left-wing, vaguely, I mean, I don't know you call shooters left-wing, but but basically left-wing to centre, uh, they may uh, they may get the shooters is exactly, actually will get a bit of a result for first time Victoria, and uh, and uh, and that means you know for the for, for um, further doom and gloom for the Nats because you know make no mistake the shooters are coming for their voters. There was um, that nice young fellow from Eastern Victoria who worked, used to work in a sawmill who became a senator for a while. Oh, he was from the uh, yes, he was a uh, he was a, a Glen Drury boy. Uh, uh, that was the um, motor vehicle drivers party or something like that. He actually mm. was a you know, decent enough fellow. He yeah. walked, fell fell ass backwards in the senate, but at least he took his responsibilities fairly seriously. Yeah, it seemed like a nice young fellow to me. Um, and 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 you know he sort of did did the best he could, and he acknowledged that he perhaps uh, wasn't uh, the, the the best person in the country to to be sitting uh, in a. Um, uh, you know, in in uh, a, a position to uh, to get legislation through, but he did. He gave it his best effort. There is the sort of he, the, did, the, he, he did better than some very intelligent people. One, it'll be interesting to see how One Nation goes in in uh, Victoria. They're preferencing uh, angry Victorians. The United Australia Party also prominent. Family first. Um, it's just I just think the upper house is going to be. An, you know, it'll be a circus. It'll be not a, not a circus. It'll be a freak show when it's done. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, yes, look, there's uh, plenty of anger out there, and including a party called the Angry Victorians, and it has one candidate who's actually an MP. She's a member of the upper house. There, her name's uh, Catherine Catherine Cumming Jack. And on the weekend, she got pinged, uh, and she was filmed, um, uh, including by uh, uh, one very, very good friend of the podcast, uh, as saying, "I joined the Angry Victorians Party for one reason: to make Daniel Andrews turn into red mist. In the army, we would call it pink mist, but I want him into red mist. Give anyone here in the army a job to blow someone up, and they will." Uh, and uh, she's now under investigation by the police. I really have to say there's just no room for that kind of rhetoric in any Australian election anywhere. 
Do you think it could be called intemperate? Well, uh, Vic, Vic Paul might find that it is uh, inciting, inciting violence. Yeah, and she might she might end up uh, having some questions to answer in a courtroom. Um, yeah, I just don't think there's any reason for this. And this this sort of angry Victorian party was was sort of um, oh god, they were so weak in dealing with this. I mean, any party worth its salt would just drop her. Straight away. I mean, she'll still be on the ballot. And we get all of that, but you've got to make you've got to make the um, uh, the statement and just get and be seen to be rising above what is the sort of wretched, normal, lying politician um, uh, business and say we, we're just going to get rid of you. See you later. We want nothing further to do with you. That's what should have happened, but it didn't, and that's a shame. Yeah, well, we, the investigation will run its course, and we should probably just let that happen. Um, but I just don't. I just find it difficult to understand why people get so upset with their political opponents. To me, it's completely normal to have political views that are different to someone for someone else to have political views and to take political actions that that you don't approve of. Um, well, she's chasing clout, Jack. That's what she's doing. Yeah. It's very odd to me that you would that you would take that level. Okay, I don't agree with you. Too, I must harm you. That's yeah. Oh, look, I I couldn't agree with you more. But these sorts of people do this stuff to 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 get to get the headline, to get the clout. That's why they do it. It's don't don't think for a moment that she was overcome by emotion when she spoke. This is a deliberate tactic in my view, a deliberate tactic to draw attention to her candidacy and that of her party. And that's why the party should have jumped all over and said, no, you're right, you're out, you're gone, you yeah. can't represent us. Well, my advice to people who, who, who do get a bit emotional is to, to listen to us. We're quite capable of disagreeing without threatening each other. No, we haven't even started our energy discussion, Jack, and weapons <laughs> may well be pulled then. I've got mine handy. Um, so... Uh, uh, look, uh, what's your call there, Jack? Labor minority government? What's your, what, that's that's where I'm going. Uh, look, it's, it's hard to know, really hard to know. It's it's one of those come, one come of those on, elections on, where mate. one of those elections where I don't think anybody likes anybody. <laughs> it very much is that. Um, look, we've got. Uh, I, I actually read uh, uh, Tom Dusevich's piece. He's uh, been at the Australian for a very long time. Tom, he's a mate of mine. He's a very, very fine man, a very fine writer. Wrote an excellent piece on the growth of government and and uh, uh, and and the growth of welfare to people who really don't need it. And he took it all back because Tom is a very serious analyst, took it all back, going back more than 20 years ago to the Howard Costello years and how we were throwing money around there rather than saving it. We did save some, but uh, but uh, not, not as much. And now we've got a rollout for self-funded retirees, Jack, who will get their medication sponsored, so subsidised. Uh, they will get... Uh, uh, transport and various purchases, their council rates, all sorts of things will be sponsored by uh, by the federal government. And this was a, a Morrison initiative that uh, the Albanese government uh, agreed with. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend uh, people do read Tom's piece from the weekend, uh, one of the best economic analysts in the country, in my view. Jack, you obviously read the piece. What did you take I, out? Of, I did. did. Take I saw it on your uh, Twitter feed and, and clicked through to it. Um, and um, 
And I think he's absolutely correct that uh, we frittered away some of the glory years during the Howard Costello years and um, and spent money for electoral purposes on um, giving money to people who don't really need it um, rather than to squirrel that all the way into a, something like a sovereign wealth fund um, when the thing was going really well. Um uh, I noticed these people that notice the the self-funded retirees. I think the income levels are about ninety grand for a single person and one hundred and twenty or one hundred twenty yeah. plus yeah. for a couple. So these are people who are retired and still have an income of that level, and yet it's still necessary to give them um, uh, special benefits that are not available to the wider population. And that, to me, is bizarre. <laughs> R- ridiculous um, and wrong. Uh, um, um, and, and, you know, and, it's, it, it, the thing that the, but the mistake is, is more general than that, and it actually goes back before the, Hawk, the, the Howard Costello years and before the Hawke-Keating years. It looks to me like we're going to go back and this is where we are now, in part because we spent all the money on the pandemic. But we're going to go back to the years where government's gotten too big, um, too unwieldy, um, and uh, to the pre-Hawke-Keating reforms. We're going to meander along with an increasingly sclerotic government um, until um, the next wave of reformers come along. I mean, the idea, I mean, the very idea that someone who's on ninety thousand dollars a year should need help with their bus should, should pay half price on the bus is yeah. is really ridiculous to me. And 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 it's, it goes beyond that. I mean, it's council rate payments. There's a whole raft of things, including getting their medications, of which there will be many, at six bucks fifty a pop. Um, it, it, it's quite absurd to me. I just I did enjoy this, Jack. Uh, from uh, from the wonderful Tom, uh, he, who, who described as the, the latest round of boomer welfare beneficiaries as noisy, time-rich and communing in the comments section, which I just loved because he was having a bit of a swipe there at uh, some of his readers and mine. Um, yeah, I think there's a few of them in yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah they, look, they have a certain demographic and, and they're really... They've just been some delivered so many things over the years that they really do feel entitled, and uh, and, and, and you know entitled to all these sorts of things. What do you mean? I can't I can't have a I can't have a sort of gold. It's not a gold uh, Medicare card, but they're basically not paying really much for their health at all, um, and it just it's just ridiculous to me. So yeah, a, a round of pension cards for. For people who aren't on a pension and um, and proudly call themselves self-funded retirees, that's just the latest bit of uh, bit of. Uh, I think there's a direct cost of something like uh, uh, thirty or forty million a year, which you might not think is much, but then there's a then there's a carry forward stuff. So it's really nuts. You know, we have to get across this idea that welfare belongs to those who need it um, rather than those who want it. Well, we've come into a, a, a reverse idea of that is that the government should look after you for all sorts of things so that we give money to the government and the government gives us back money. The trouble with that is the government wastes about 25% of that on, on its administration costs. So they never give you back what you gave them. Um, 
what they should do is give money to the people who really need it who yeah. can't get it themselves and by and large let the rest of us get on with life. Yeah. Okay. And just to wrap up our uh, domestic political coverage, Jack, uh, uh, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, currently busy um, on the uh, on the hustings in Victoria, has suggested that extended sessions of Parliament may occur, particularly in the Senate. They have much to get through. Uh, the industrial relations uh, legislation uh, in the Senate, uh, the National Anti-Corruption Commission, they would like to have that locked down as well. Uh, and uh, territory rights on euthanasia um, are, are two of their, uh, or three of their their, their main um, legislative requirements before they head off uh, uh, for Christmas, Jack. Yeah, well, are we going to go back to the mistake that Labor made in the, in the Gillard years of congratulating itself on how much legislation they passed? Well, I, I think there's there's a certain argument to be made that you don't want to put time limits on really on on really um, key pieces of legislation. I think that's something that needs that that that's that's wrong headed to say let's they get all this just locked up um, by December twenty four, and then we'll say we've we've achieved things. And and in doing so, um, you know the IR stuff has gone through the Senate now. It has been um, subject to amendment after amendment. Um, will you get a better situation than you have before? That's the, that's got to be the test of any sort of legislation. Will you have a an improved situation to the one you had before? There's a lot of people well, saying it won't happen, um, but setting a time limit on these things rather than getting it right is the wrong approach for mine. Yeah, but equally, um, it's a mistake to think that a, a test of the government is how much legislation they get passed. It's how well they govern. Oh yeah. Oh look. I, and I, to be honest, I think they've done a pretty good job. Um, pretty good job. I, I, I think their foreign policy achievements are really, really stark compared to the previous mob. You know, Dutton was saying, "Look, let's prepare for war with China." I mean, for God's sake. And 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 so was Morrison, sort of tilting at all these sorts of things. Um, and and instead, Australia in the South Pacific, and in and, and it's uh, under the Albanese government, and and and, and into China and. Uh, or broad, more broadly into the region, has, uh, has handled itself with a plot. It's going okay so far. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that got me about Elbo was that he said, we'd be better off having dialogue than not. And, and, that's, and that's really the test. I mean, you might disagree almost on everything, uh, but at least talk. You know, I think that's think that's right. Um, the, the only caution I would say is when you're measuring how um, someone's going on foreign affairs is that foreign affairs tends to move fairly slowly. So you do something and the results don't become clear for a little while afterwards. All right, in the world of media, Jack, um, Hollywood Reporter is uh, reporting that CNN and ABC, both uh, US broadcasters, are looking at serious budget cuts in their TV news areas. Hollywood Reporter, Jack, <laughs> they want to know the serious news business. They are sort of in the serious news business in a way. Um, yeah, the, but the numbers, the numbers are quite startling and, and a lot of people are going to go because it looks to me like the the news business, the media business is in a state of flux again. 
Uh, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, of a mate of mine who was a uh, executive producer in one of the Channel Nine programs done here locally. And uh, after Channel Nine, the Rivers of Gold had uh, had finished, and uh, and the accountants were in charge. Jack and he used to have a bloke uh, from the accounting department across uh, his threshold on a regular basis and say, uh, uh, "What's a vision switcher do?" and and Brian had explained, uh, this is what a vision switcher does. Yeah, can, can a kid do it? Uh, and he said, well, no, you need someone with experience. And, All right, okay. And he'd wander off again. Uh, what's a floor manager do? Uh, well, the floor manager, because can, can a kid do it? Uh, and, and so this was, <laughs> look, this is the way of things across media. Um, nothing wrong with uh, good, bright young journalists, by the way. Um, but we have seen at the same time across a, a lot of mainstream media, um, experienced journalists uh, um, uh, being cast out uh, and replaced because uh, they were earning, well, they were earning a good deal more than the young people that were coming along to replace them. And that becomes a problem. We've discussed it at the ABC. That becomes a problem uh, in, for people who, you know, we really do need those people in our newsrooms, regardless of who we work for, who say, hang on just a minute. And, uh, and 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 we'll get them to be a little bit more judicious in their approach. Yeah, people with a corporate memory, you mean? Well, yeah. People are, people are old salts. People have been around the traps for a while. Um, yeah, look, uh, look, regardless of what's happening, <laughs> what the Hollywood Reporter is reporting on, Jack, you know, these are not good times to be in the media. I mean, you know, this is... No, this is, but the reason I picked up the Hollywood Reporter was they're actually reporting the story and the media companies themselves are not reporting know, the story. They won't do it. Yeah, they won't do it. Um, um, uh, but that, um, right, that across is, the, right across the United States, the numbers in newsrooms, in particular television newsrooms, are dropping away in the same way that... What happened to the newspapers, you know, 10 or 15 years ago is now happening to um, the television stations, that people are no longer getting their news through the television, through the, 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 the broadcast television media. They're getting it off YouTube. They're getting it everywhere else, getting it off Facebook. Um, and that means that the glory days of um, good conditions of pay and nice travel for, for companies like CNN are going to go away. Yep. Um, yeah. Not not all of that is not all of that is good news. I know a lot of people have got a, you know immediate distrust or mistrust of the media and so forth. But um, you've identified one of the problems that they they won't report on themselves, and they just and they just no, simply they won't. won't. Uh, <coughs> Which is why you go to the Hollywood Reporter. You've got, to, got to get all your news from the Hollywood Reporter. Look, I, I noticed just the other week. Um, um, uh, a, a very good re- CNN reporter um, was having a having a drink across the bar for me in our in our local Anna Corrin. Remember Anna Corrin? He used to be on the, yeah, the yeah. television in Australia. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, been, yeah. Has been a, doing tonight. great work for CNN for years. Yes. Uh, and there she was propping up a sort of slightly down market bar, which is my local, um, rather than uh, swanning about on a CNN uh, um, um, credit uh, card somewhere. Yeah, telling, telling. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, Elon Musk, Jack. Um, is Twitter dead yet? It's. It, I've got to tell you, it's looking shaky. I've got to tell you, it does look a little bit shaky. Yeah. Um, well, the, the good news for Donald Trump, he, he won an election. 
He did win. <laughs> he had a win. I think it it's was his, the, his first or first win since 2016. He came out of the blocks early, uh, and uh, but uh, the, the numbers did tighten on. I think it was 52-48 in the end, it something was, of that order. It was. We, we, just for listeners who don't, aren't following this, um, uh, Elon Musk decided to um, uh, to hold hold a, a, a Twitter poll on whether he should allow Donald Trump to have his Twitter um, account reinstated, yeah. and, and he eventually won fifty two forty eight. Won fifty two forty eight, and the, and the account was reestablished, including some of the mad stuff he was spitting out uh, on around January sixth when they shut him down. But uh, he's he's said he won't return. He's uh, he, he's just given it the flick. And in, um, in my view, he should never have been taken off Twitter. Or if you're going to do that, you've got to be more consistent. I mean, they allow the mad mullahs of Iran to post on Twitter. If you're going to have a rule, you've got to be consistent. And one rule I think would be a useful thing that the um, that the mainlanders across the border wouldn't agree with. But if if a country says um, we're not going to allow Twitter within our country. You shouldn't allow the officials of that government to post Use on Twitter. Twitter externally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, which, uh, which, which Twitter does. Twitter, I mean, I, 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 I think let the man post. But, look, yes. he's refusing He's because refu- he's, he's a clown. Uh, and it's very, very funny. At the time, I, I understand Zuckerberg and others, I just didn't quite know what to do because America was on the precipice politically on, in and around January 6th, and, uh, and they just weren't quite sure what to do with him um, and, and, and how far he was going to go. Was he going to inspire people to hit the streets with AR-15s and go nuts? I mean, we just didn't, they just didn't really know. Um, but, look, his, his suspension should have been lifted some time ago. But he's, he's sticking with Truth Socials, the one the company he's got ninety percent share of, um, and a very. I think the whole, I think the very, whole family. Uh, I think the whole family following one that don't they? Nobody else does. <laughs> I think that's the, the only reason it exists. Um, but uh, Donny Junior's still on. I think Eric. He doesn't post very much. I do keep my eye for Eric stuff. Um, all right, now moving. Moving further, oh, well, look, yeah, this is something that Elon reckons. I don't know where he gets this from. The coverage of the FTX, which is the uh, crypto trading company, uh, crypto exchange company, FTX.com, that meltdown is incompar- in- incomparably faster and better quality on Twitter than old school media. Where did you get that from, Jack? I think that was pretty right. Must nah, must tweeted it. No, we hear it, mate. <laughs> but, but, but the coverage on, the, on Twitter was very good about that. Oh, well, look, it may not have been better. My view is that Twitter hasn't broken a story for, you know, perhaps going back to the Fukushima nuclear reactor leak. Um, and, and certainly the coverage of the FTX meltdown was really very good in, com- in media companies like Vox, Vice, uh, even Daily Beast were very, very good on some. Very, very poor in the New York Times and the Washington yeah, Post. Yeah, yeah, wasn't who, it? Who, who, who were still running puff pieces on um, uh, on the on the protagonists um, uh, a week later. Yeah, look, I, I, if you went for the for the pointy end of media, you were going to miss out. Um, and, and look, I, I, I would explain that sort of. Um, I mean, I saw um, um, a Miranda Devine, who's uh, you know I've, I've met and got on well with in the past. Uh, she's uh, in New York now, and she was talking about crypto, and she just didn't <laughs> she didn't really know what it was. 
I mean, it was just a bit sad. She didn't. She, she wasn't across the brief. She was basically saying anyone who touches crypto, crypto is dubious, and therefore no one should be touching crypto. And you go, that's not right. You know, I mean, that that might be a sort of 2010 sort of view of the world, um, but it's certainly not now because they're major investors, including including um, institutional investors who are investing in crypto now. Uh, but the FTX meltdown is spectacular, Jack, and you've just got <laughs> – I know that uh, the founder of the company there, SBH, that's his name, is it? Uh, uh, yeah, Friedman. Friedman uh, uh, SBF um, <clears throat> uh, uh, is uh, claiming that uh, the problem really is just a lack of accounting rigour. And you'd have to say, yep, think so. I think that was probably it, given there's $8 billion gone missing. Um, yeah, yeah, so uh, so that's it. Sam Bankman-Fried, I should say. Sorry for the confusion there. Yeah, it needs to be very, very, very um, uh, closely investigated. I think the, uh, the authorities in the Mahamans are doing that and there's sort of almost sort of uh, house arrest sort of circumstances there and the FBI won't be far away. Going to be a lot of busy lawyers for quite a long time, oh, I would think. Well, just the insolvency companies, mate. Wow. Because mm. uh, there's, 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 I forget how many corporate entities there are attached to it that have been created by SBF and his co-executives, but it's sort of two or 3,000 companies and money yeah. going all over the place and no rigour, no control whatsoever. This is not. This happens all the time. It does um, happen all the time. But perhaps, you know, I, mean, I think go back. Go back to two thousand and eight, and people were trading in uh, in things called collateralized debt obligations (CDOs), uh, and there were people who were trading in them who had no understanding whatsoever of what was inside them or what they were. Oh yeah, 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 junk bonds. Uh, yeah. But this is kind of a little bit like, if you want to sort of parallel, junk bonds is, is, is a little bit like it. But it's not just a story of a corporate collapse because it is a story of young idiots who have no sense of due diligence um, and, and sit around on beanbags and, and, and take a bunch of speed and coke and, uh, and think they're the kings of the world, you know. Mm. That's what's going to be spectacular about it. Look, we have to keep moving. The Walkley's just isn't time. To ration, ration the booze, the, the singing syrup, <laughs> the singing uh, syrup. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, no one would go if there wasn't this entertainment that happening all the time. Oh, well, look, I know a little bit about this. So, so, so um, this is uh, the chap. This is the chap from from Peter Frey, Frey, is it? Yeah, yeah. Put um, uh, uh, Peter Frey, who's on um, indefinite leave, Jack, uh, and and he was at the Walkleys. I do know the, the bit of the background here. Crikey had done some excellent reporting, particularly around public trustees uh, for the elderly, and partic- yep. with a particular focus on Queensland. And um, uh, the journalist uh, there, who's a very who I know personally, um, Amber Schultz, did some really wonderful reporting, and I know that for a fact. And then the award was given to the ABC, who did similar work on public trustees around people with disabilities, uh, not so much the elderly. And, and, and of course, the ABC journalist Dan Connolly at Four Corners won the won first the, uh, 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 one particular Walkley, a sub-Walkley, and then won the gold. So Frey sat there, with obviously with a bit of singing syrup under the belt, 
Mm. And um, he tweeted off a couple of things and uh, yelled out a bit. And now he's uh, now he's uh, on the gardening loop, mate. Oh, look, um, uh, it, it's an inappropriate response in my view. Um, uh, it's a bit well, it certainly like, was. I mean, it, 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 I, I would have liked to have thought that Amber Schultz at, at Crikey would have got the recognition that she deserved for her stories. Um, uh, not through a Walkley necessarily, but but from her peers. But yeah, that doesn't mean you've got to yell and carry on. Oh yeah, but nor but but nor do you send someone on indefinite leave either. You know, um, uh, this is a this is this is like a club. This is like a footy club, best and fairest night. The mate, there's one Let's every month, it, mate. There's one. Every, there's a journalist award every month. I mean, I yeah. don't think they have it in January because no one works. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but every but other the, month, they, um, yeah, there there is a there is a. Um, uh, there is an award on on offering. I was invited to the Walkley's. Oh, it was a long time ago now, Jack. Uh, and uh, one of the MEAA delegates got hold of me and said, "Would you like to uh, turn up and do a, a, a you know, um, a, a, not present one of the awards, but do a bit, do a bit, do a bit of satire and and things like that?" And I said, "Sure. How much are you going to pay me?" Because oh, we're not going to pay you, <laughs> so, so I didn't turn up. This is a bloody union, mate. So yeah. they're not going to they're not going to pay you for your work. I was freelancing yeah. at the time. Yeah, no, I just no, don't thanks. think that. I, look, people have been getting a bit cranky um, uh, on the on the on the singing syrup at the Walkleys forever, for as long as they've existed. You know, there are uh, was it uh, um, uh, the the Milne chap and and, and Stephen Main from oh, Crikey. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, was the, that was that was. I seem to seem to recall um, like watching a couple of, couple of grandmothers in a pillow fight. Yeah, and there was and there was a there was another contretemps with. Um, uh, Mike Carlton and somebody else, um, Jared Henderson, careful, maybe many careful, years ago. Careful you get careful you get that right, mate. You know, you're yeah. a little litigious. Oh, I'm not saying he was right or wrong, but I'm sure that there were, you know, allegations. There's people who've been on the booze and all that sort of stuff. You know? No, I, mean, I think it, I think that was. Um, I think there was a bit of a blast around the. Uh, oh, look, I may be wrong. I, I won't. I won't get into it. But look, we do enjoy journalists getting on the drink and making fools of themselves, Jack. Uh, it's it's funnier with journalists than just about anybody else, with the possible exception of politicians. Yeah, well, it's been happening with politicians for a long, long well, they've time. They've been doing well. They are very, very good at it. Um, yeah. yeah, so look, mate, we're going to have a brief chat. We'd love to have a longer one on energy apropos, uh, well, uh, particularly apropos of nuclear reactors. And you sent me a meme, which is just like, it's just facts in, in, expressed in illustrative form, uh, telling us that uh, China will have. 18 new uh, nuclear reactors. Uh, oh, did I send that through to you? India, India, eight. Turkey, four. Russia, four. <laughs> Where are they getting their money from? Uh, Republic of Korea, three. Uh, and uh, USA, two. Um, so there you go. So the, 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 look, it's absolutely true that the, 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 the Chinese are expanding and the PRC is expanding um, uh, its nuclear reach. And you want to know why, Jack? <laughs> Well, tell me. <laughs> they're replacing those terrible coal-fired power stations. Well, no, they're actually, they're actually, but China, the Chinese at least are actually building coal-fired power stations at the same time. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, look, this what is the, essentially what why the response is coal-fired power stations. Oh, look, I've done a little bit of work on this, Jack, because I just don't look at a at a, at a graphic and go, oh, oh, gee, that's good enough for me. Um, uh, China's. Uh, 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 
produces about 55.6 million kilowatts uh, from nuclear energy now. That's expected to double by 2024 to 120 million, 120 million kilowatts by 2024. Um, that, that nuclear reactor number, by the way, depending on where you read, can be as high as 25, 28. So there is a, a major push to, to, to take some of their uh, some of their electricity grids nuclear. How much do you reckon? 120 million kilowatts nuclear by 2024. How much do you reckon uh, solar in China? Now, oh, who knows? Quite a lot, probably. 306 million uh, kilowatts from solar uh, as of now, so three times that. And according to Wang Bohua, I hope I've done uh, his uh, name uh, I pronounced his name correctly, but I probably haven't. Uh, distributed solar power accounted for over 50% of totally newly installed solar capacity for the first time in 2021. Looking ahead, he said, uh, we will see distributed solar power and centralised solar farms grow at the same pace as nuclear. That's uh, from Wang, who's the honorary chairman of the China Photovoltaic Industry Association. China is the biggest pho- uh, uh, PVI, uh, uh, sort of PVC photovoltaic cell manufacturer and a leading exponent uh, of solar technology, which should be, we should be getting, we should have made money out of this in this country. We were the biggest manufacturers of it up until recently, and it's a shame that it's sort of gone offshore. Yeah, part of the reason for that is it's a, it's a very messy process making them. Um, USA, two newies, Jack. Two new building uh, nuclear reactors in the United States, and I did pick up my eyes because that will be the first time they've built a nuclear reactor in the United States since Three Mile Island over three, 30 years ago. I believe there are two on, in, in, on the way. And, so, the, yeah. and the, Canadian, the Canadians as well are building um, some new... Uh, in Ontario, at least, to build some new nuclear reactors as well. Um, well, the, let me tell you a little bit about the new one, Jack, in Georgia. They're both going into Georgia, um, and uh, this is uh, uh, being built near the uh, the Georgian capital, Augusta. Um, Atlanta. No, no, the, the capital, the capital oh, okay. state. Uh, is Augusta? I'm pretty sure. No, it might be Olympia. But anyway, it's a it's a big town in in uh, Georgia, um, <coughs> and um, I'm just going to check that. Uh, <coughs> um, <coughs> and um, yes, well, they've got two there. There will be two. They're expecting the second one to come online in 2026. Um, and uh, you know when the first one was supposed to be online, Jack? No. 2016, mate. Oh, it is Atlanta. You're absolutely right. Um, Atlanta is the capital. Um, they don't do the um, they don't do the bit of um, uh, of having the administrative capital elsewhere. So anyway, uh, the, these two power plants will exist um, just south of Augusta. Uh, well, they do play so they a lot of golf. the golf there, mate, um, with, a, with a bit of with a bit of radiation. But look, the first one was supposed to be online. It's likely to come online. They put the fuel, that is 7 million tonnes of uranium oxide. They've got the approval to put that into the first reactor uh, just, uh, just a few days ago. Um, it's seven years overdue, and there is a cost overrun for the second nuclear reactor, Jack, at Basically, was designed to come in at at forty billion. It's now coming in around eighty billion. 
So that's the problem with nuclear, mate. We keep talking about it, and look, we wish we wish those countries well who who, under, who decide that they're going to go with it. Don't have a problem with it uh, at all in principle, but for Australian nuclear energy needs, it's not reliable. That is, it takes too long to build, and 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 then comes with huge cost overruns. And, and, and it's not cheap energy as a result. So that's the problem with nuclear as far as I can see. Where you've had it established in France, for example, and China's nuclear energy um, will surpass the amount of a contribution from nuclear to the grid will surpass France's um, really in, within the next year or two. So China will be the biggest um user of nuclear energy going forward and you know again good luck to them. it is clean uh, for the most part it is clean energy um but is it reliable is it cheap well not for australian climate anyway well it's certainly reliable it might well, it's not reliable for take <laughs> it's not reliable if it takes 16 years to build mate that's the yeah. problem with it that's yeah. the problem with it and that's why a lot of the lot of the world has turned off and and you're absolutely right this is the first uh, time the US USA has has uh, had a nuclear reactor in um, built for more than thirty years, um, yeah. and we'll see how the one goes in Augusta. And like I say, I hope it doesn't interrupt the golf chat because that'd be terrible. Mm. Um, and moving on to sport, there's a nice little connection. You can you can, you can visit uh, uh, Qatar, Jack, and um, it's fairly warm. Even this time of year, it's fairly warm. But you can't have a beer. So it would seem. They've backtracked on their promise to have beer tents outside the stadia in, uh, in Qatar. Um, this has come as a, a unpleasant news to Budweiser, who were um, had paid 70-odd million to <laughs> sponsor the event. They've got a few and, barrels and there already, I presume. And we were expecting to um, have a, a captive market of people who could... Who probably wouldn't you probably wouldn't normally use it to brush their teeth with? Who were forced to drink the dreadful stuff? <laughs> yes, it, it does seem uh, fairly odd. By the way, the World Cup kicked off uh, around midnight. Well, the, the opening ceremony, which I didn't bother with at midnight uh, uh, our time, Australian Eastern Time, uh, and uh, that was followed by the Qatar Ecuador game. And the Ecuadorians won that fairly comfortably to zip. Um, uh, after Jack, a couple of after a couple of hometown decisions, it was pretty hard for the Ecuadorians to really? get a goal allowed. Really? For a while. I didn't. I did not see. Did not see the game. <laughs> on, on a little early for me at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but um, yeah, look, I, look, I wrote a piece uh, about. Uh, the Qataris should never have had the games. I mean, it's just they it should never have had the World Cup. Shouldn't be hosting the tournament. It's as simple as that. It was just a corrupt job, and it had been corrupt for a very, very long time under Sepp Blatter, uh, with all sorts of uh, with all sorts of shenanigans going on there. And of course, Sepp has been replaced as president of FIFA by Gianni Infantino, Jack, and he had a bit of a strange yes, moment. Yes, and hasn't, didn't he? Hasn't, he, hasn't he had a good week? <laughs> Today he said, "I feel Qatari." Today yeah. I feel Arab. Today I feel African. Today I feel gay. Well, you just feel gay sometimes. Is that is that how it works? Is that how human sexuality works, Jack? You just feel gay. Uh, today I feel disabled. Dear, oh dear. 
today I feel a migrant worker. Perhaps he had been a migrant worker and now he's disabled, Jack. Maybe that's how that worked. Very, very strange comments from him. Uh, look, we'll keep watching. Of course, of course this, this sort of approach is uh, Andrew Cuomo used to do this when he was um, governor of California. He would uh, run through a, 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 a laundry list of what he was today. And, and, and of course, <laughs> yeah. our, our good friend, uh, Prime empathy. Minister Trudeau from Canada, was a specialist at this. He actually, and, and, and the Prime Minister of Canada actually gets the costume on as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's just faux empathy, isn't it? You know, uh, <coughs> and not fooling anybody. Uh, in the well, league, well, well, it, it makes yourself look foolish rather than fooling anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just been sniggering at Gianni Infantino ever since. Rugby League World Cup, Jag. I did watch it. Uh, Australia won, I think, thirty ten in the end, uh, and look, just wonderful effort from Samoa to get there. I reckon. Yeah, and saw the highlights, and they and they bought they bought a bit of game to them too. They gave the Aussies a fair bit of physical. Yeah, there was a bit of physical physical stuff there. Just wonderful stuff um, to see them uh, to see them get into a World Cup. Normally, it's a not dreary affair. That's that's understating it a little bit. But it's normally it's Australia, New Zealand, maybe England. Um, but uh, to see uh, to see Samoa, who were, were pretty much outsiders in the tournament, to play off in the finals, wonderful and well done to Australia for winning. Uh, ODI crowds, Jack. Australia just uh, wrapped up the three-game series against England fairly comfortably, it has to be said. Uh, i tell you what, Stephen Smith looks like he's about to make make a squillion runs very, very, you know, over, over this summer. He's uh, made a lot of changes to his technique. He's not taking that big step, that big right foot step before the ball's bowled way across his off stump. He's really straightened himself up. And uh, and he looks to be in terrific nick, but there's he looks, a problem. He looks like he's seeing it like a watermelon. I saw him on the yeah, the other yeah, day. He's you know? just playing some beautiful cover drives, and and uh, yeah, a lot straighter, a lot straighter, head over the ball a little bit further. He was probably just going a little bit too far with that with that big step. Um, and uh, yeah, and look, they've had a number of conversations with him about the changes to his technique, and he doesn't think they're that major. It does look. Markedly, like his head is right over the ball, and look well, out. His head, look his out head always looks stilly. He was his always head, still, but it yeah, was not yeah, always yeah. over the line of the ball. And that, and and look, that hasn't you know, that has led to him nicking up, nicking out a bit, I'm sure. But he hasn't been in very bad form. It's just like, just now he looks like he's going to be in ominous form. Um, <clears throat> not great crowds, Jack, at the ODIs, and there's even some discussion that. Uh, from Cricket Australia that they will move the ODIs to free-to-air just in order to expand its audience. Yeah. Um, look, they might need to do that a little bit. Um, and the, and the rug, just before we, we leave sport, the rugby news, um, the, the Aussies actually didn't look too bad to me against Ireland in, uh, in Dublin. Um, well, beaten ten thirteen, I think by the yeah, Irish. Yeah, and it was the, the the last three points for Ireland came from a a wonderful um, uh, uh, penalty kick from um, you know, the the thirteenth row back in the stand um, off to one side, um, uh, and he managed to put it through. Otherwise, it had been a draw. Uh, and the Ireland are the number one team in the world. They are ranked, now, I think they're ranked number one in the world. They are, they? And they've beaten. That's now twelve games on the trot. Twelve um, tests on the trot. They've won. Um, and the only side looking back who could equal that from a Northern Hemisphere point of view 
were England in 2002, who went on to win the World Cup the next year in 2003, and we are facing a World Cup next year. So Ireland uh, will be deservedly favourites. And, and Eddie Jones, England managed to... In the to- south. Yeah, in the south, that might be a little bit different. <coughs> yeah. In, in the southern hemisphere, I mean. Uh, it might just be a little bit different. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, just uh, just going back to the ODIs. I mean, I think the the, the issue with the game is really really um, uh, it hasn't changed. That there are formatting issues. That between that sort of twenty and forty over mark, the game is a bit drab. It's just knock it around uh, and uh, pick up ones and twos and that sort of stuff, and not and not really look to hit the boundary. You still do have fairly spectacular close results when they happen. Um, but you've got this long lead up to it that you don't have with a T20. That's when you go to the bar and fix it. Um, that's, <clears throat> that's when you go up to the uh, the bar at the top of the lady stand, isn't it? Between overs twenty to forty. Yeah. Well, you, well, you actually leave the ground altogether and uh, hit a pub um, and uh, watch it from there, um, which I have done on occasions. Um, Couple of clubs very close to the SCG. I've uh, I've announced my presence at uh, after about over twenty in the, in, a, in an ODI. Uh, Jack, uh, take us out with some uh, silliness from the week, please, mate. The untold Hogan's heroes. What's going on? Yeah, there? look, um, uh, the, the 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 chap who um, played uh, Corporal LeBeau, the little yes. French fellow in yes. uh, in Hogan's heroes, um, uh, died this week at ninety six. Yes. And, and, and I hadn't known this, but he, he's actually a, a Holocaust survivor. He is, um, yeah. He, he's, um, he was the one, his parents were, were picked up in Paris and taken to the camps. They were all killed that, their parents were killed that day and the rest of the family died over the years and he became a sort of, he sort of survived in the camps by singing for his supper, so to speak. Um, uh, he'd become a singer. He's a cabaret and, singer, yeah. Yeah, and a cabaret singer after that. But he was the only one who survived the, 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 the camps mm. of his entire family. But it turns out that all of the, um, of the people who played the Germans or the important Germans in Hogan's Heroes, I hadn't realised this, were all Jewish. Yeah. So the, the chap who played Colonel Burkhalter, he wasn't a, col- a, 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 a camp survivor, but he had fled Germany twice to get away and got away the second time in 1939, just in time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Werner Klepperer, who played um, uh, um, Colonel Klink, was also a German yes. Jew. Um, uh, he was indeed. And, and and of course the ever 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 famous I mean uh, Sergeant Schultz continues to get a run in the culture uh, as uh, he always uh, as the man who saw well, I know nothing. nothing yeah so <laughs> John Banner uh, he was the only survivor of of his family he was on tour in Switzerland when Anschluss took place which is the um, sort of a, a forcible uh, annexation of of Austria as part of. Germany, uh, and uh, and yes, he too uh, was uh, was a, was a Nazi um, uh, was a Nazi uh, refugee. Yeah, so it's a wonderful yeah. history, isn't it? And 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 I did know all those things about uh, the little French colonel, um, and and it makes the show even even more wonderful than it was. I could still watch it today. It's very very funny. yeah yeah yeah. It it still stands up. It's still funny. Meanwhile, in, in Italy, Jack, um, the Italians are now referring to a message sent via WhatsApp as a WhatsAppino. <laughs> what is that? 
What are they doing that for? And and some wag on Twitter says um, this won't be this won't go down and well in France. There's probably some rich people there trying to get kids to say Curiel Electronique, the telephone portable, etc. <laughs> etc. <cetera>, et <laughs> Oh, that's terrific. All right, anything else for us? Or you think that might do us? I, yeah, I, I, I think it should do us, mate. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been hassling you for a long, long time. And I do apologise to our viewers. We were and we are going to do a bit of a series on Australian political sledging, Jack, on the history of it. Um, but we didn't do our homework on time. And so we'll be doing that in our next episode. And we are also going to do a little bit of an expanded look at what a – uh, resources or mining super profits tax might look like, um, and I'm sure the, the, the current government won't want to even think about those terms, but they might be having a bit of a crack at it nevertheless. So we're going to address those two things in our next uh, in our next episode, uh, which will be out oh, on the 23rd of November. Uh, sorry, no, that'll be out on the 30th of November. Well, this one will be out on the 23rd of November. And, Jack, thank you very much for your time today, just as there's a bit of crashing going on in the background there. Yeah, 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 yeah. The builder's next door again. He's just throwing, he's just throwing some rubble down the, down, the, down the chute. Don't worry about that. And nothing could possibly go wrong there. Uh, thank you very much for your time, as I say, Jack. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we just want to remind you that uh, if you've got any comments, criticisms, uh, suggestions, whatever you may have, uh, drop me a link, drop me a line, I should say, uh, uh, either on my Twitter DMs or drop us a drop us an email on uh, the conditional release program at gmail.com. We'll deal with a lot of reader stuff next week. We do promise you. Thanks, listeners. We'll see you later.